turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll be looking at passages or verses 9 through 12. Romans 12 verses 9 through 12. Now, we're studying the renewing of the mind. That's what Paul's introduced in Romans chapter 12. A Christian is somebody who is being transformed by the renewing of his mind. And we saw first and foremost that that means that life is a sacrifice, a living sacrifice before God, holy and acceptable, where God and his agenda is our agenda. That, that's the first piece to the Christian life, to a renewed mind towards a Godward life. The second piece to this is that you must realize, as a Christian, you are part of a body. And you are not your own, you were bought with a price, but you ought also not to think too highly of yourself. You're part of a community, and you have been gifted in particular ways, yes, but those giftings fit properly only in to a community who you love, who you cherish, and whom you are locking arms with in ministry. Now, this week we're going to talk about a few things, a few marks of a Christian. So let's read uh, Romans chapter 12, 9 through 12. The Apostle Paul writes, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Amen. In this passage, we see additional characteristics of the renewed mind. A renewed mind commits himself or herself to love that is genuine, to a family-like affection for brothers and sisters, to a fervor and resolve to serve the Lord with one's life and also a hopeful perseverance until we see the Lord. So these are marks of a renewed mind that we're talking about today. And, I, and by way of a reminder, I have four marks of a renewed mind today. The first mark is let love be genuine. Genuine love has a definite and identifiable aim direction. That's the first mark of the Christian life, that genuine love has a definite and identifiable aim. What has, what has gone under the banner of love today is, is foolish and meaningless. Um, what has gone under the banner of tolerance today is also foolish and meaningless and sad. Infants are slaughtered in their mother's womb, which, must, which should be the safest place in the world, 
in the name of tolerance very much, in the name of freedom. Children today are being encouraged to change their quote-unquote gender and maybe even mutilate themselves through drugs and surgery, and this all in the name of tolerance, why it most certainly will cause irreparable psychological damage to the children and to the society. Husbands leaving the wives who they committed to under the banner of loving someone else. You see what goes under the banner of love and tolerance today. That's why this command is so needed for our culture, for American Western culture, because when love became free in the 60s, we, we lost genuine love. So genuine love abhors that which is evil and clings fast to what is good. To abhor means to eagerly and earnestly detest something and also has the idea of distance. You move away from that thing. And genuine love clings to what is good. It unites itself to what is good. It's the same word that Jesus uses for marriage when he says a man, when he leaves his father and mother, shall hold fast to his wife. He holds fast to her. He commits to her. So genuine love abhors that that which is evil and unites itself to that which is good. So love is not, and this we know this as Christians, but by way of a reminder, genuine love is not a directionless emotion. Love thinks and feels and acts in the direction of what is truly life-giving according to God's revealed will. Love has a definite and identifiable aim towards the will of God. It's not in an ether or a gas or warm and fuzzy feelings only. It is affection, but it is directional towards the goodwill of God, that which promotes life and flourishing and joy in God's kingdom. That is genuine love. So love, love is not like an open field. Love is like a path in the open field. It has a trajectory and a course towards something. Love it's, is like a city with walls that does not allow invaders to penetrate. Love is like a shepherd that will not allow wolves to come in and eat the sheep. Love is like good parenting that does not tolerate disobedience from the children, nor is it passive but it is directional. It gives guidance and instruction. It hates what is evil, and it holds fast to what is good. That's genuine love, not a directionless emotion. Not passive, 
It has a definite aim. It moves away towards evil, that is, anything that contradicts the divine order, that contradicts life and flourishing in God. That's what evil is. Anything that raises itself against life and flourishing in God. That's what evil is. Love promotes godliness and it rejects corruption. It has a direction and a name and it navigates towards that life and flourishing in God. And so this, I think, is a good and necessary reminder for Christians whose tendency is to be passive because, and that's really all of us. That's really everyone because, as I've said before, we don't drift in the direction of godliness. People don't drift towards discipline and, and honor. And people don't drift towards dignity and holiness. We don't drift in that. We drift towards passivity and, and laziness and sloth and ambiguity about what is good and true and right. It is a good thing, though, to be intolerant of evil. Be very intolerant of those things that take life and take flourishing from people and societies. So don't be soft on these things, in other words. Paul uses the words abhor and hold fast for a reason, because he wants to show you that there's a fervor, that there's an intensity involved in loving what is good, holding fast to what is good, and hating, abhorring, and distancing yourself from what is evil. So, it is a good thing, Christian, when you are tempted towards passivity, when you are tempted towards ambiguity, to remind yourself to hold fast to what is good, and to abhor what is evil. That is when you're bringing yourself into cooperation with God, intentionally and from a holy resolve. So abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good, not least your own sin, not just the sin of society. That, but also your own sin. Genuine love is specifically intolerant of anything that conflicts with the will of God. That's the first mark of a Christian, that that love, genuine love, for a Christian, has a definite and identifiable aim. Second mark of a person with a renewed mind is that the love that we have is assigned Christian love has assigned subjects. In verse 10, love one another with a brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Christian love has assigned subjects, and that is those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those are those whom you are assigned to love. In the Christian life, and to love one another with a brotherly affection. Because so often in church, and I want to, I really want to break 
through this. Not that I, in so many churches, and even in our church sometimes, our love, people in church tend to be superficial sometimes. I want to get past that. I want to get past superficial and sentimental love. Now that, that, that comes with time with one another. Right? Quality time comes from quantity time. And that's why attendance at church, Bible studies, prayer meetings, fellowships are very important. Because while we're committing ourselves to truth, we're also locking arms with one another. So there's just a tendency to be superficial. I think. And and that's what Paul is getting at here. It's to love one another, not with a sentimental affection, but with a brotherly affection, a sisterly affection. So Christian Christian fellowship is not a superficial or sentimental association. It should be a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And it is a brotherhood and a sisterhood. And we as a church and other churches should step into that as best we can. So you are assigned who to love in the Christian life. It's us right here. Those are the pers- those are the people whom God has given you to love. Um, so uh, I've said this before too, but some people feel like all the action, all the spiritual actions out there, outside the church... And there is spiritual action outside the church, right? Go into all the world and make disciples. So it's very important that we do evangelize. It's very important that we do serve our neighbor and do good work so that they might glory. It's very important that we do engage in God's agenda for the world. But it's not as if all the actions out there, a lot of the action spiritual actions inside the church. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, do good to all people, especially those of the household of faith. Especially them. Who are Jesus' mother, brother, and sisters? Those who do the will of God, he said. And then, a few chapters after identifying who his family is, who his brothers are, he says, as you do these things to the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Talking about final judgment. So, Jesus so identifies himself with those who are Christians, with those whom he, whom he has united himself to, that Doing a good thing for a brother and sister in Christ is as if you were doing it to the Lord himself, according to Jesus' own words. Especially those of the household of faith. And Paul adds to that, outdo one another and showing honor. Never feel like it'll put you down to lift a brother up. Outdo one another in showing honor. So those are two, the two ways of love for the renewed mind. The renewed mind hates what is evil and holds fast to what is good. And the renewed mind, since it has assigned subjects to love, it loves those subjects 
with a brotherly and tender affection, serving them and locking arms with them as if you were serving Christ and locking arms with Christ. Third reminder and mark is to live with a resolute devotion to the Lord. Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord and say, no, I'm going to bring myself to this thing in serving the Lord. I'm going to count this as service to the Lord. Also, you know what's a good, a very good help? Is to read good Christian biographies. That'll stir your mind. Nydia has been reading uh, Amy Carmichael biography. And I can see her heart was stirred by that. Um, at times I've read Jonathan Edwards biographies and Hudson Taylor biographies. Darcy gave me a, a Wigglesworth, but what's his first Smith. name? Smith Wiggle. How about that name? A Smith Wigglesworth biography. Like <laughs> our, our writing that I'd like to get into. So biographies are, are great tools because they give they give you a vision for an intense, God-glorifying Christian life. There are a lot of those good ones out there. I can suggest some to you, but it's just, you can go online and, and you can find a lot of good suggested ones. Stir your affections for the Lord. Be encouraged in the Lord. And with result, know that it's a good and blessed thing when you overcome a tendency for passivity with a zeal and a fervor for the Lord. There's something holy about bringing a tired and weary soul to doing something that it is not prone to do. There's something uniquely holy about that because that means you're not running on the fuels or fumes of youthful zeal or a lot of energy that a 20-year-old has, that means you're doing it out of strict resolve for the Lord. And that, that's a beautiful thing in the eyes of Paul. Paul says, rejoice in hope. There's a tendency to become downcast in tribulation. Paul says, be patient and endure in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. The tendency for, for humans is to think their way out of their problems or work their way out of their problems. Paul says, first, be constant in prayer. First, cast your cares and your anxieties on the Lord because he cares for you. That's the first move during affliction and trouble. Cast those on the Lord. Be constant in prayer. So, Rejoice in hope and be glad, brothers and sisters. You have a hope that is undefiled, Peter says, unfading, kept in heaven for you, and will be revealed at this last time. And yes, you will grieve, but we will not grieve as those who do not have hope. So I see these as four reminders that go against our natural tendencies. 
rather than being passive or ambiguous about good and evil, hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Be reminded of this, and that's a good thing. Now, next week, we're going to see that hating what is evil and holding fast to what is good doesn't mean be a jerk. It means identify what is evil and distance yourself from it and hold fast to what is good. The other tendency is a superficial association with other Christians. Paul says, love one another with a brotherly affection. Move towards that. Let's move towards that as a church, a brotherly affection through quantity time. A tendency for all humans is to become passive and sleepy. Paul says, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And it's a beautiful thing when somebody overcomes, overcomes that tendency and kindles his own heart to serve the Lord, whatever that might be. Lastly, there's a tendency in the middle of tribulation and affliction for anxiety, which is to anticipate the dread. Paul says rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. And be constant in prayer. So those are four reminding marks of the Christian life. And I pray that we would hold on to these things, we would remember these things, and the renewed mind... The renewed mind is always hopeful in the Lord and always committed to the Lord, knowing that your work in the Lord is not in vain. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only wise God be glory and majesty and power and dominion now before all time and forevermore. Amen and amen.